Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. We're doing something a little bit different uh, this weekend. We're doing something that... Uh, not to be to sound overdramatic, but this is 20 years in the making. Uh, I'm not going to preach this weekend. Uh, I'm going to testify. And it, it's, uh, I think this is something in church that we don't do well and we don't do often enough. Uh, and it's a part of celebrating what God does. We've been talking in this series about loving on the people around us. And showing them Jesus in every way possible. And, and you never know who or whom God is going to cause to cross paths with you. But 20 years ago, uh, I met a man named Pat Collins. And I had no earthly idea what the next 20 years had in store in our relationship. I can honestly say that I have learned more through this relationship and all that God has done than I learned in four years of, of studying scripture in college and uh, all of my years in ministry. I feel God's shown me more about himself, about his love, through my relationship with Pat Collins. And so I thought this weekend, I talk about him from time to time, but I thought it would be cool to sit down with him and walk through our story together. And when you think about scripture, there are moments where there, there was one instance where Jesus had set free a man who'd been experiencing bondage for many, many years. And the man says to him, after he'd been set free, I want to go with you everywhere you go. And Jesus says, hey, go back home and tell everyone you know about what God has done in your life. And that's what we're going to be doing this weekend. So He's never done this before in church, but I want you to welcome one of my best friends on the planet. Would you give some love to Pat Collins? Looking good today, bro. Looking good. So why don't you, for a moment... Uh, why don't you go back to when we first met, kind of uh, start at the beginning of our story. Well, I'm not going to let you take charge like that right away. I understand this is your congregation, but you've got to be in absolute heaven that this is day two that you get to tell everybody what a turd I was. This has got to be just so much fun for you. The only one it's more fun, fun for is his wife who's sitting right over there who I guarantee you will We've be been like, waiting more than 20 years to do this. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, no doubt. To, to tell on you no publicly. Um, going back to when we met, um, I, I had moved out here from California, been here a couple of years, and uh, I had a mutual friend of ours uh, call me up and say, there's a young lady who was playing uh, junior college volleyball in California, and she got a, uh, got a scholarship to Grand Canyon University, but she's looking to work while she comes out here. I said, sure, send her in. Now, you have to understand that <clears throat> I was a commodities trader, uh, and it was a pretty crotchy group. It was a pretty rough and tumble group. It was CD for it sure. Very, CD, CD is a good word. Uh, 
And this poor little innocent girl uh, comes in and sits in between me and a, probably the two seediest guys in the group. 100%. Okay. Derelicts. And, That's what uh, I would say. And so she, she comes in the office one day after about six months and says, I, I, I met a guy. And, of course, we hated his guts before we even met him. Uh, in fact, you reminded me last night, and this is a true story, we didn't even call him by his real name. We called him Trevor uh, just because we weren't going to accept him. Uh, so uh, that's true. We just said, we, no. Uh, so, so, so that's how we met. And then from there, you have to understand, too, that, that uh, at the time, the Dallas Cowboys were good. Okay, so we get that. That was we, a long time ago. It was a long ago. time ago. But I had to hear about the Dallas. We only hear about it about every six months when they play a decent game. Back then, I had to hear about it every day about the Dallas Cowboys. So there were plenty of reasons not to like the guy. But I, I, I realized that our relationship was starting to grow when uh, we took a trip to Detroit for a sporting event. Both of us are huge sports fans. We took a trip to Detroit. And as a gift to take him to Detroit, he got me an I Heart Detroit T-shirt. So I understood that our relationship was growing. And we were really going places, were yeah, we? Yeah, we were. Yeah. Uh, when, when Pat and I met, I was in college. Holly and I were both in college. Um, I, I was on the path to become a pastor. So all of his friends knew me. Most of them either called me Trevor to totally disrespect me or preacher. Uh, and it was not a respectful term. You know, I mean, I, I, I got uh, picked on a lot. I was the youngest and... I, I was a preacher, and uh, when Pat and I met, uh, from the world's perspective, Pat was in the driver's seat. Uh, he was making uh, millions of dollars at the time, had a multi-million dollar house, uh, is one of the most connected guys in the city of Scottsdale and around the country in college athletics. And so everybody, I mean, you to them, you had everything, right? Everything, yes, on the outside. Yeah, uh, but things weren't going as well on the inside. And back then, you were kind of known as as uh, the worst among everybody. You know, I mean, I remember times with your friends where we'd be out and they'd, they'd make jokes and kind of act like you were further gone than all of them. Well, I, I do everything at 110 miles an hour. So good things and bad things. And... Uh, yeah, it, it was from the outside. Uh, I had done uh, what everybody perceived was, uh, or had had been successful. What everybody perceived as successful—the nice homes, the nice cars—and uh, and I was enjoying that. And when, when when you're enjoying that, you don't really have time for uh, for for anybody else but yourself, right? And so uh, so yeah, from the outside, everybody uh, everybody thought I was. Uh, I was kicking butt and taking names. And during this time, you were struggling with alcoholism, and you'd been struggling for a really long time. Uh, and going all the way back to college, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it took me six and a half years to get through college uh, uh, because I was very good at college. And uh, I was very good. I, I tell people all the time, if I had to do it over again, I'd take eight. But that's a whole other story. Um, but uh, no, I I, uh, I I was footloose and fancy free. I, I and just because I enjoyed, it wasn't because I had a bad upbringing. It wasn't because it was just because uh, I did everything to the fullest. And you, during this time, uh, you're going through some marital trouble with your wife at the time, and you actually tried to get sober, 
on your own, and and you did. You were sober for about a year and a half, right? I, I was, yeah. I, uh, I, uh, you know, when when you're that guy, um, you don't need help from anybody. And so uh, everything else that I had attempted to do, I got it. I got it. And when it came to alcohol, I got it. I got it. And so, uh, so I went a year and a half. Uh, we had separated. I lived somewhere else, and I'm, I'm going to make this work. And uh, I, I'll never forget it. We, uh, we, we got married in Cabo, so we, so we went back down to Cabo for a 15-year wedding anniversary. And, and I'm sitting uh, at uh, a beach bar and hadn't had a drink in a year and a half. And uh, I, said, uh, I said, do you mind? And she said, no, just be careful. And I remember the voice in my head saying, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. And six months later, I was on the fast track to right where I was before. It's, it's hard for people to fully understand. You, you kind of, in some ways, you were infamous in this town for a while. Would, uh, Those are your words, not yeah, mine. <laughs> you, you wouldn't say that, but, but you were. You know, this is a guy who goes to Mexico uh, tries to find the biggest dive bar hut on a beach in Mexico, takes pictures of it, comes back, builds a six-figure broken-down cantina in his backyard, puts sand around it, massive palm trees so that there's privacy, and anybody who's anybody has partied in that, in that backyard of that cantina. Uh, ASU swimsuit calendar shoots back there. I, I mean, a, a beer deal back there, commercial. I mean, th this is, it, I wish I could describe just how famous you were for running the way you ran back in the day. Because so you say 110%, it was like 150%. It wasn't because of me they were showing up at these things? I don't think it was because no. of you. I, I think you brought a lot to the table back then. But as you started to hit rock bottom, even though on the outside it looked like you had everything going for you, things started to, to go south fast. Uh, at that time, and I want to kind of talk through that season uh, because it was a couple of months. You were uh, just before you were uh, in LA on staff uh, as uh, one of the lower-level football coaches at UCLA, and things were the, the things were happening for you that you'd been hoping would happen for a long time, and yet it wasn't. It still wasn't working. Talk about how dark it got. Yeah, so so uh, you get really good at hiding um, when you can, uh, when when you have issues like I had, and uh, I, I remember uh, uh, I, I was living uh, UCLA is in a wonderful part of of Los Angeles, and I was over there for a seven month stint, and uh, I lived uh, for those of you that have heard of Sunset, I lived on Sunset Boulevard in Beverly Glen, which is in the Homby Hills. I lived in a guest house. Um, uh, in the back of a $14, 15000000 dollar complex, and, and it, it was just me in this guest house. And when I wasn't doing things that were associated with, uh, with UCLA, I would go back in and I would shut the curtains of this guest house uh, and drink with all this beauty around me, and I could not leave uh, the guest house with, I couldn't even open the drapes. It, it got so bad with depression and anxiety and the voices and the, and the, you know, the guilt and the shame and the everything that went with it. Because that was just in Los Angeles. Over here, my, uh, my uh, ex-wife was filing for divorce. Uh, my relationship with my children um, wasn't, 
obviously where it, where it needed to be. And so everything was just building up. And to make those voices go away that I had in my head, um, I had to drink them away. And it just got worse and worse. And you, at that time, uh, right after that, you moved back to Scottsdale. And uh, we moved here. And we started the church. And we could tell th things were going south. It, 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 was, it got dark really fast. It got really heavy. And we actually... Uh, moved into your house, and he moved into his guest house uh, with our three kids, with our dogs, uh, and it, it was an interesting season, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, you know, people, he, his was the party house, you know, so people would just come through from all over the country, coaches from all around the country would just stop in and stay at his guest house unannounced. I mean, they, you were that guy. People could just come in and do whatever they wanted. One night, Holly remembers this, it was like 3 a.m., and we're sleeping in his master bedroom. And I didn't lock the doors, I didn't, I didn't you know, the screen door out to the pool area. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, a woman comes into our bedroom. And I'm sleeping in my boxers next to my wife, and this woman comes and takes the covers on the bed. And I, I, I literally, I'm not, I was going to kill somebody right then. I thought, what is happening right now? I, I'm flipping out. My wife doesn't want to kill the woman. She wants to kill Pat. She, I mean, she is literally going to crucify him right there in the backyard in the middle of the night. This lady, and, and she was out of it, she leaves the master bedroom because we're like, you got to get out of here. This, this, this is not Pat. I am not Pat. Stop calling me Pat. Get away from me right now. Don't touch me. She goes into the kitchen, into the refrigerator where all of our food was, and just starts getting a snack in the middle of the night. I mean, just helping herself. But things like that happen all of the time while we were living with you. We're in church, man. We're just I know, I know. But those, it, it's memories. I mean, it, it was tough. It was hard. Holly and I would have conversations. But we knew he was in a, in a tough place. And he, you thought we, we didn't know. You know, you thought you were hiding it so amazingly well. But the reality is when you start drinking at, at 8 a.m. and by 11, you're toast. It, it's, and here's the deal. We would say it all the time. We, we talk about it now. Alcohol really wasn't your problem, was it? No, it, it, it really wasn't. And, and you know, when, when uh, you're looking for every excuse in the world, uh, you, you become a victim, which today is probably my biggest pet peeve in people, but you become a victim and it's everybody else's fault while you're doing this. And, and I remember early in our conversations, you telling me that alcohol is not, not my problem. And when, when, you, when you're that guy or you perceive yourself as that guy, well, I can't have any faults. It's gotta be the alcohol's problem. And what, what you said to me, which made all the sense in the world, he says, you know, you have a disease of the soul. And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, a disease of the soul, I'm perfect. Can't you see all this? I got it dialed. He said, no, it's a disease of the soul and you're, you're trying to fill it up with alcohol. And as I started you know, uh, processing this, I'm thinking to myself, well, if, if, the, if the drug industry is a trillion dollar industry and they don't have a drug for this yet, it has to be a disease of the soul, has to be. Um, and so that's when I started realizing that, uh, that you know what, it's not alcohol, it's, it's me. So let's talk about 
the crash at the bottom. Your favorite part. This is not my favorite part. It's hard. It's hard to talk about, but it, it's. I I don't get tired of talking about it because it's just so miraculous what God has done uh, in all of this. But as as the crash really began to happen, uh, I got a call one day uh, from the hospital in downtown Scottsdale, and you had uh, you were at the Valley Ho. That was one of the bars you like to go to. And it was morning. Uh, it was 11 o'clock. And uh, I, to this day, we don't know how the hospital, why, I, I don't know how they called me. And I sure as heck couldn't tell them how to call you. Yeah. So. Uh, but they called me and asked if I had any relationship to Pat and said, I said, that, that's my friend. And they said, well, your friend's been brought into the ER. Uh, he passed out at the pool at the Hotel Valley Ho. Um, drunk, and we administered a breathalyzer uh, a, a test, and your friend blew a .42. And I'll never forget uh, what the nurse said because it scared the living daylights out of me. Uh, she said, do you know what that means? And I said, I have no idea what that means. She said, we have had people expire, and I'll never forget that word. We have had people expire who have blown a .38. She said, your friend is dying, and he's going to kill himself if he doesn't get help. And so I went up to the hospital, and we, did, we didn't tell this last night, but when I came up to the hospital to get you, you actually snuck out of the hospital and <laughs> took a $25,000 heart monitor as you walked out of the hospital, ripped it off of his chest, and threw it into a bush, which we never were able to find. Uh, the police were looking for it. Uh, I don't know how we got out of everything we got out of, but it, it was, even then, even though you'd crashed then, that actually wasn't the bottom, was it? No, uh, and I've changed since, by the way. This is the old me. Uh, <laughs> All so things I, have become uh, new. Yeah, I, I wasn't a quitter, so uh, so I, I ripped that thing off, and I remember I was going back to look for it the next day because uh, I was going to get a bill for it. Uh, and I went and had a couple beers. And uh, I came home, and I remember I had the Uber do a lap around the block <laughs> so that the people staying in front of my house wouldn't see me. And they saw me. And so, uh, so you had the Uber drop you off literally three quarters of a mile from your house. Okay. And I walked down the street just to let him know, bro, I see what you're doing. Don't, don't yeah. be, I mean, the Uber dropped you off nearly a mile away from your yeah. front door. It was classic. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so, so, uh, uh two days, um, I just in, in the back of the guest house, um, and wasn't sure I was done. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I, I just, I wasn't sure, but I, I laid on the, on the couch in my guest house and uh, uh, the amount of anxiety and depression and guilt and shame and everything that's going through your head is uh, like nothing I've ever felt before in my life. And so, uh, so I'm laying on the couch and the second day I get a knock on my door. And I've been back there by myself, just, just beating myself up, maybe sleeping an hour, maybe two uh, a night. And I get a knock on the door, and it's my, uh, it's my 75-year-old father uh, who had flown in from California 
um, and uh, said, uh, hey, uh, can you talk? And, and I sent him away. I said, no, I can't. I was just anxiety-ridden. I was shaking. I was, uh, it, it was bad. It was really bad. And so, so he said, well, I'm going to be back tomorrow. And I said, okay. Uh, so he came back the next day. And I said, look, I, I, I better talk to him or it's going to be 100 straight days. He's going to keep coming back. So, so uh, he came in, and uh, this the awkward silence and the phony conversation. I said, Dad, let, let, let's go for a walk. And so uh, as I tended to do when I was trying to think things out, because uh, I can figure it out on my own, um, we, we went for a walk. Now, my father was uh, uh, a man of very few words. He was from Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, and uh, old school Irish guy uh, who became a cop. And um, so there weren't always a whole lot of words spoken. Uh, never felt unloved, always felt very loved. He was a gentleman, but the, the old school generation just didn't talk a whole lot. And so we go on this walk. And at the beginning of the walk, he says, uh, he says, uh, are you okay? And I said, no, no, I'm not okay. And that was it. And we kept walking and we kept walking and we kept walking. And we came back to the house and I'll never forget it as long as I live. I, we're at the driveway and he gives me a hug and he says, son, you, you just need to figure it out. And I said, uh, the tears in my eyes and crying, and, and I said, I, I will, Dad, I will. And so I start walking up the driveway, and uh, um, I, I hear his car door open, and I hear, hey, Pat. And I said, yeah, Dad. Uh, turned around and, and uh, you know, cried, didn't say it like that, but I was, and he says, I love you. And I said, I love you too, Dad. So, so I went back in, and trust me when I tell you, I'm not sure I was ready. And so I sat there for another day. The second morning comes. I woke up, and I can't tell you what it was. It wasn't a strike out of the sky. It wasn't anything. I picked up the phone, and I called Holly and Preston, and I said, I'm done. I'm done. And uh, uh, Holly and Preston had done some research, and they sent me to a Christian rehabilitation center. Um, and I went 30 days. And I talk about doing everything at 110, and I said, look, if, if you're going to make this work, not knowing if it was or not, um, you have to give this 110. And so um, every day, read scripture, highlighted scripture, went to all the, the, the functions that we had to do in this thing to the best of my ability, and I got out, and I still wasn't sure. And so I said, you know, you get that instant euphoria when you get out, and oh my God, this is the greatest thing that ever happened, da 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 da. But I just lived every day. That's it. And the craziest thing happened when, when I got out, and as time went on, my craving or my need for alcohol was gone. When I tell you I can go to places that I used to go to and see friends without even having an issue, I don't have that. And so I got out. And uh, uh, God started doing his work. And, and I was telling the gentleman over here earlier, I said, if, if six years ago uh, he had asked me to step up here or if somebody said, you know what, six years from now you're going to be up here telling this story, I would have mixed in a lot of salty words and gave you the finger. Uh, I just would have. Um, but 
God started doing his work. I, I, I get out a month after, and I get a call from one of my old roommates, and he said, hey, why don't you go co coach high school football? Uh, there's a guy right around the corner looking for a coach. I want you to go help him. So I, a month out of sobriety or rehab, uh, I go coach. They have no idea. And I'm in my third day of practice, <clears throat> and a kid's having a rough day, and I'm still on the euphoria of getting out of rehab. And, and he says, uh, I said, Gio, you, you all right? You got a problem? He said, Coach, you wouldn't understand. And I went and I put my arm around him. I said, let me tell you a story. And so that's when I knew that uh, I'm going down the right path. And I'll end it here pretty quick. And, and, and so life, life's going on. I go up to California, my parents' 50th uh, wedding anniversary. Everything's great. Uh, my sister gets married in April. In July, I bury my father, um, who came down with a virus really quick and uh, passed away in a very short time. Um, and the old me would have said, good Lord, how can you do this to me? In the last year, I've, I've, I've uh, offered money to people on a loan that went belly up. I got a divorce. I retired. And now you're going to take my father from me. Why are you doing this to me? Why, 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 why is this happening? Why are you wanting me to go back to drink? But that wasn't what happened. What happened was the gift that he gave me was the same man that I just buried seven months earlier led me to sobriety, and he died getting to see me sober. And I thought, you know what? He passed away on the same year that my life began. And it's just a wonderful feeling to think like that. The, your whole mindset just changes. Instead of the poor me, victim me, it was, this is amazing. Absolutely amazing. I think that's one of the things when I look back on, on those first six months after you got sober, I was scared every day because I, I was thinking, man, you started taking a lot of shots. And it's amazing how it happens like that. Uh, you know, he gets out of rehab and he had a handshake deal with a guy uh, with a, a high six figure loan. And the person through his attorney let him know uh, th this is not binding. This this was a gift, not a loan. And the old Pat would have anger was one of your favorite hobbies back in the day. Uh, the old Pat would have just absolutely attacked. I mean, basically somebody took this money from him. Uh, he had right before crashed his six-figure car, you know, uh, he had invested in a restaurant here locally, a very well-known restaurateur, and one of the only failures the guy had ever experienced, that was the one restaurant Pat invested in, lost uh, a ton of money in that. All of these things were just piling up, but I watched you the whole time, and you never, you never batted an eye. You went from driving a hundred thousand dollar car to riding a five thousand dollar vespa scooter with a helmet and not because i had to <laughs> no it, was it wasn't that things weren't that bad you went from a two million dollar house to a fifteen hundred dollar a month apartment and i i remember thinking this the smile on your face was constant and yet your friends were looking at you going what's what's wrong like what what happened to pc he, wh why but you were happier than you had ever been even though all that junk was going on why it, it's uh it, it's crazy but but it was it and i remember 
we, we go to lunch every week and we're talking through it. And he says, you know, it's crazy how the good Lord works. Everything that you were identified with, that you perceived yourself as that guy, he just started taking away. You perceived yourself as a guy with money, started taking it away. You perceived, your, you perceived yourself with a happy guy. All of a sudden it was starting to realize that maybe he's not that happy. And one of the greatest gifts I got out of, uh, out of uh, rehab was um, it, it's, it, when, when you're given a gift, it's, it's always given. Well, the greatest gift I got uh, getting out of rehab is what, what the good Lord took away from me. And he took away all the anxiety, all the depression, all the shame, all the guilt. He just said, hey, give that to me. And when you don't have that to think about and your voice every night when you go to bed says good night and doesn't tell you what a piece of crap you are and you wake up in the morning and it doesn't tell you what a piece of crap you are, it tells you good morning, life's pretty good. Life's pretty good. The, 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 the big car's not going to tell you that. The big house isn't going to tell you that. But when your inside voice, and for those of you that battle, you know what I'm talking about, that inside voice is the worst. And when that thing says good night and good morning, everything else is worth it. One of the things you, I've heard you talk a lot about, because before you got saved, you were, I would make jokes, you were a better believer than most of the believers that I knew. You were one of the most generous people. Uh, you're the kind of man, and I always have been, that if somebody was in need, even if you didn't know them, you would, you would take care of whatever their problem was. You've always been that way. But I've watched you grow in your walk with the Lord. And one of the things that you talk a lot about is the difference between just believing in God and trusting in God. Talk to me about what you, you've really learned about the difference between those two things. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, uh, 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 it's so true. And, and that was the biggest thing that, that uh, and I had mentioned it to this gentleman over here earlier. He, he said, when did you start believing in God? I said, well, I, I've always believed in God. Uh, uh, but when I got out of rehab, I started trusting him. And, and I use the analogy of jumping out of a plane. If I'm sitting here talking to somebody and he says, uh, he says, oh, man, jumping out of a plane is unbelievable. And I say, well, I believe you. I believe you, but I'm not going to try it. I can't trust him until I actually do it. And so um, that's the way I felt with God is, is that, I, I went from believing when it was convenient to totally trusting him in everything I do, everything I do, good times, bad times, uh, no matter what times, uh, if I just sit back. Now, this isn't to say that I don't jump into trying to believe again, but I don't stay there. I don't stay there. I, I immediately go back, to, or, or all the feelings of, of guilt and shame and, you know, it's not like you're risen to here and everything's fantastic. Your, your human nature and your human feelings still go to there, but they don't stay there anymore. And uh, that's one of the greatest things between believing and trusting is that when I get the negative feeling or I get this, which, which you're going to get, um, I don't stay there anymore. And that's the trust uh, factor that, that I've, I've learned to grow with. So you, we talk a lot every week. We talk a lot about what we learn and what we've learned through this. Uh, what, are, what are the biggest things you learned through the last six years of this journey uh, between getting sober but learning how to walk with the Lord? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I used this analogy last night because I'm 
pretty narrow-minded male with just things about sports all the time. And, and uh, so I used this analogy last night, um, uh, having, having tried things on my own. So uh, uh, imagine a, a football game, and, and you're the quarterback, and you have the greatest coach in the world on the sidelines, and he's sending in plays, but I keep changing the plays because I'm, I'm that guy. I, I'll get us done. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. We're good. And I throw an interception, or I throw in, in, the, in, the, in the, the play caller, uh, the, the coach keeps sending in plays, and I keep changing the plays. And the next thing you know, it's, it's halftime, and you're down 41 to nothing. <clears throat> and so you go in the locker room, and, uh, and, 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 and the head coach puts his arm around you, and he says, uh, he says son, he says, uh, he says, you've been trying it on your own. I said, I'm sending in plays, and you're changing the plays. Uh, how's it working for you? Well, coach, I'm down 41 nothing. Well, let me just tell you something, son. I, I have this playbook that I wrote a long time ago, and I'm undefeated. I haven't lost. And trust me when I tell you that if you just follow my playbook, we'll get back in this game. And I used this analogy last night because I had some of my coaching buddies here, and I said, uh, I said, so when we go out in the second half, you follow my playbook. And so my halftime learning uh, – lasted 30 days okay and when I got out I started the second half of that game and since I started the second half of that game I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you there was a penalty I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I might have thrown an interception or fumbled the ball but the score is not 41 nothing anymore it's 41 28 and I'm I'm grinding and I'm driving and when I win that game uh and I said this last night uh because I'm going to win it, uh, and I get to the end, and I meet my head coach again, I'm going to tell him, uh, thank you very much. But the most important thing is, for me, is that I'll be able to walk up to the assistant coach who told me one time, son, just figure it out, and I'll be able to tell him, dad, I figured it out. And so uh, that's what I've learned. I wish I had a ton of time to talk about everything you've taught me. Um, and I mean it with all of my heart. Um, one of the best gifts God's ever given me in my life is this man. And uh, Holly feels the same way. He, he's like my big brother. Never in a million years did either of us think we'd have this kind of relationship. I legitimately, I remember saying to the Lord in my 20s, and I, I'm sure as a pastor you should never talk like this, but I remember saying to the Lord, God, if there's one person on this planet that you can't reach, I think I've met him. I mean, there's just no, he, he, ha, he, he thinks he has no need for you, and, and there's, there's just no, I'm never going to be able to get through to him. And I can say no matter what happens in my lifetime as a pastor, uh, the most miraculous thing I've ever seen God do is sitting next to me. And when I moved out here, I was so overwhelmed. Uh, I remember the enemy just picking on me hardcore. And I would say to the Lord, why, why am I here? I can't do this. I'm in over my head. You know, the people in this city, they, they, there's so many that just don't care and, and they think they don't have need for you. And when Pat got things figured out in his vernacular, 
when he gave up control of his life and started following God. The Lord reminded me, not just why he called me to Scottsdale, but why he put me and you on this earth. And it was to reach paths. You have a path in your life. All of you do. All of us do. I still do. I have new paths. This is why we're here. We're not just here to come and worship on the weekend. We're here to grow the family of God. Because alcohol can't fill that void. Drugs can't fill that void. Money can't fill that void. Sex can't fill that void. Only God can fill that hole. And it's our responsibility to love people into the kingdom of God. And my favorite part about Pat's story is every time he walks up and down the street of Scottsdale, the enemy knows this. That what he used to say when he looked at Pat was, I got this guy on lockdown. I got this city on lockdown. And Revelation 12, 11 reminds me that every time he walks up and down the street, he is the enemy's worst nightmare and reminder that our God doesn't just reign. He does miracles. He does miracles. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.